So this morning, I want to talk to us from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. In the same vein, today as we say, and we talk about fear, and the title of my message is Fear Not. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's amazing how God is just saying to us we mustn't be afraid and he gives us compelling reasons why we should not be afraid. God doesn't just say, fear not and leave us there. In the same way, he didn't say, be strong, but he says, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. And not only that, he says in Ephesians 6, here are the weapons that you can use. So God is showing us how we can be strong. In this instance, God is giving us reasons why we should not fear. Let's give a little background of the scripture. As I said, it's normal for us as human beings to become afraid because we also realize how quickly our lives can change overnight. We realize right now we've been confronted with the reality of our mortality as human beings. It's in times like this when we realize how fragile our lives are, how fragile the earth is. Not only that, how brief our lives can be, how quickly things can change, how we can in a moment of time move from the greatest of things to a time of great despair and great sorrow. But it's also in times like these where in spite of what's going on, we are forced to reckon with certain things and deal with certain realities. It is in times like these where we look around and search around what is it that we can hold on to. And if we don't have any foundation of God and any foundation of faith and any foundation of the word of God, times like these can truly totally destroy us in our lives. So it's in times like this where we are reminded that only God and God alone is the source of our comfort and the source of our fulfillment and the source of our meaning. This book of Isaiah is considered as one of the books that was written by a major prophet. It's a very huge book when you read it. It was written by Isaiah, the son of Amos, and the name Isaiah actually means the Lord saves. Now, you know, with names in the Hebrew culture is the same as names in our culture because a name had a specific historical significance. A name as well carried with it a prophetic message. And so Isaiah, God uses him at this time. We are told that Isaiah, at the time of him being a prophet, he was a contemporary of the prophets like Amos, Hosea, Micah, his ministry began in somewhere in 740 BC. And in, in, interestingly enough, it is in that same year that a king by the name Uzziah, he died in that year. You find that in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. The book of Isaiah, as I said, is quite a huge book. It has 66 chapters, and you can put them into two sections. Chapter 1 to chapter 39, the one section. Chapter 40 to chapter 66, the the other section. And the general theme 
of this first part of the book is the announcement that the prophet is making to people to say, look, in the light of the fact that you've walked away from God, you're going to end up in captivity in Babylon. And when you read it, his message is stern, it's very strong. But surprisingly enough, it's also mixed in with beautiful poems of promise and, 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 and poems of compromise. Because that's just the nature of God. God, in spite of what his people has done, God will always come through for people. Sometimes people think God is harsh and God is stern. But God is a God of love and is able to come through for people. And so you note in this first chapter that theme, but it's also in this first chapter where there are several references made to the coming Messiah. And in chapter 7, this coming Messiah, his name is called Emmanuel. God with us. And then the second major section of the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies of comfort to the nation of Judah. And it says, if you turn to God for help, God will help you. And so God is saying to his people, even if you are out of place, I'm going to make sure I bring you back and you are restored in a good time. And God is saying that to his people. So our passage there for Isaiah 41 is part and parcel of that second portion where God is actually telling his people how he will restore them and how he will come through for them. And he's talking to them and simply saying to his people, fear not. And when you read it, he's simply saying, this too will pass. Fear not. You, you are going through a difficult time. You are in a different season. You are in a different period. You are in a difficult time. And because of what you're going through, your hearts are filled with fear. Fear not. And God assures them, I am with you. He says, be not dismayed. I am your God. God is making it personal. He's not saying I'm a God who's far away. He says, I am your God. And then he says, in spite of what you're going through, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Let's talk about all of that. The first thing in verse 10, the first part God says, fear not. This verse is plain in its meaning and it's really full of consolation. If this would come as a consolation to you today, when you are feeling fear and you are worried about what's going on and you are not sure, maybe you are lying in hospital there and you are not sure if you will ever recover, I want to give a message from God's word to you today, fear not. You know, I am so encouraged just yesterday we got a report and in fact this week we've been receiving reports about people we've been praying for for the last two weeks, three weeks, some of them just a week. And uh, they are back to health. Uh, some of them are being discharged from hospital. Some of them, their case was really difficult. Uh, it was quite critical. And, and we, we continued praying. We asked them to do their best to hold on to life and read the word where they could, uh, study God's word, speak God's word, and all of that. And, and the one person I spoke to was saying, you know, when you're lying in that hospital, you're all alone with your thoughts. Even if you may have other patients there, everybody is doing their best to struggle for their life. Everybody is trying to fend for themselves. And, and they said, you know, it becomes so difficult because sometimes when in a day you just see them, a, a person who's in the same ward as you, maybe a, a, a bed next to you, the person has passed. 
and you can see people passing all around you. And, and here you are in this world. You are, you are there alone with your thoughts. You are surrounded by people dying. And the only natural thing is for you to be afraid. And this person said, I realize I have to keep on fighting. I have to keep on being active. And they tried their best, even if their situation was very tough at a time where they even got to the point where we couldn't talk to them anymore and, uh, and, and, and their situation was quite hard. But the minute they came out of that situation and they could do something, they started communicating and all of that. So I'm here to tell you, fear not. In other words, God is not only addressing the children of Israel at that time who had come back from the painful exile of Babylon. And God is saying to them, look, I have selected you to be my special people. And because my love is on you, I want you not to fear. This promise is not only addressed to them and in them in their circumstances, but it is true also now as it was then. God has chosen you. God's love is upon you and we have nothing to fear. See, fear can paralyze a person and make us to be incapable of doing that which we should do. If you look at the children of Israel, even when they left Egypt, Instead of them rushing over to the promised land and making sure they get into the promised land and they occupy it and take possession of it, they still could not do it because fear has a tendency of paralyzing people. And this is why the last two Sundays we talked about this, that we don't need to have passive faith, but we need to have active faith. We need to use the weapons that God has revealed to us in his word, we need to use the weapon of the word of God as we read God's word, as we meditate on God's word, as we speak God's word over our life. What are we doing? We are not just passively waiting. We are doing something. We are proactively engaging in spiritual warfare. We need to use the weapon of faith. We should walk by faith. In other words, we should believe what the word of God says as being true. And that the promises that God has given are true for our lives. We should also use the weapon of surrounding ourselves with an environment of God's word. That will lift our spirit, then drag us down into a dungeon of despair and fear. You know, there is so much happening around that if all you do is to watch the news the whole day. If all you do is to, uh, uh, you know, serve the net for the news all day long. I can tell you one thing. All those news, true as they could be, but the more you hear about negativity and all of this, is the more it drags your spirit down. Sometimes you need to take a break a bit and say, I just want to listen to God's word to lift up my spirit. And so God says, fear not. And then he says, in the second part of that verse, he says, for I am with you. In other words, this is the reason why we should not be afraid. God will be your protector. As a result of that, you don't need to be afraid. Paul emphasizes this in Romans chapter 8, the second part of verse 31. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? What higher consolation can we as human beings desire than the assurance that God himself will protect us? If God is on our side, if God says, I choose to be your friend, who is it and what is it that can successfully stand against us? Yes, I know. We may not feel his presence. We may not 
see him next to us. But God has promised us that he is present in the person of the Holy Spirit. That even if you don't see him, feel him, you can't touch him, you can't make physical contact, but God is there. And God has resolved and God has made a decision to engage with us and to bring us through. God is saying, I will be there for you. Be not dismayed, he says. He says, I am with you and don't be dismayed. Very interesting. That's the third thing. The word dismayed there is very interesting because what it means, it means to see or to look. But then it means to look about as one does in a state of alarm or danger. The sense that you find here when God says, fear not, be not afraid, I am with you, be not dismayed. God is saying, I want you to be calm. I don't want you to be apprehensive because of your foes. One of the things that pilots are taught is that as they are flying these planes and they are flying through turbulence and when the weather is not good, one of the first things pilots are taught, they are trained to calm down. That's the first thing. There's five C's they tell them. The first one is calm down. What they're telling the pilots is this. If you panic during the time of turbulence, panicking, fear, and anxiety will make you to forget all the right things that you know. I remember when I learned driving many years ago. This is way back 1981. That's when I learned how to drive. And on this particular day, I was driving this car, and we were going downhill. I mean, the, the road was quite steep. And, and here we are driving down this road. I'm at the controls. I'm driving the car. And as we get closer to the traffic light, it, it, it went yellow. I was still far. And then it went red. And from nowhere, I have totally forgot about the pedals. I, I forgot where the accelerator is, where the clutch is, where the brakes are. I just freaked out. I was so afraid and so scared. I had to shout out to, you know, the, the person, you know, the law says you got to have a qualified driver. I know some of you don't do it out there. You know, these days when people are learner drivers, they, they, they drive by themselves in a car and they put that L sign at the back and you know, that's not the way it should be. You know, you are supposed to be with a proper qualified driver in the car. That's why you put the sign over there. All right. I won't spend time on that one. But here I was, I was panicking and he had, he told me, he says, put your foot on the brakes. I said, where, where, how, you know, finally I put my foot on the brakes. And you know, when you put your foot on your brake at that time, eh, you don't gently press it. I tell you, I slammed those brakes. I was so afraid. And it was so strange how when I became afraid, I forgot what I knew. I forgot where the pedals are because there is something about fear that it just blows everything out of perspective. Not only does fear do that, but fear paralyzes you. It's very difficult to navigate that storm when you don't handle things in a calm way. You easily forget what you are supposed to do and you get paralyzed. This is why David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. But then he gives the reason. He says, for you are with me. That's why we're not afraid. You are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. So God says, fear not and be not dismayed. Then he says, thirdly, for I am your God. That's the reason we're not afraid. 
God doesn't say, I am God. He says, I am your God. God is your God. He is your father. He is interested in you. You know, when, when somebody is your parent, you know, this is my mother. You know, this is my brother. Hey, this is my father. You know, and because it's my mother and it's my father, you know, then I can, I can, be, I can be strong and I can be bold about it. God says, I don't have to explain to you the solution. You don't have to understand how you're going to get out of this. I am your God. In short, trust me. Trust me. He offers to us who are tempted to be dismayed. God said, why do you become dismayed? Let me offer you something. I offer you myself. I am your God. Imagine this. The God of heaven is your God. The God of heaven who has all the power. This God has pledged that this power is to work for your favor. This God has pledged that this power will work for your protection. For that reason, you have nothing to fear. God's power is meant to be for our benefit. As we see what Paul says when he prays in the book of Ephesians, he says, I pray that you should know the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe. See, God's power is not against us, but God's power is towards us, is meant for us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, he says, for I am your God. He is your God today. Remember, he is your God. Claim that promise. Speak that over your life. Remind yourself. Talk to fear and say, you fear, you are not bigger than my God. You spirit of being dismayed, you are not bigger than my God. Then note what God says. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Then he says, I will strengthen you. I love it. I will, the King James says, I will uphold you. In other words, I will enable you to bear the trials. I will enable you. When we go into the fire, God goes into the fire with us. When we go into the storm, God goes into the storm with us. I will uphold you. God, as we read some time again from Psalms 46, God is an ever-present help in a time of need. God doesn't distance himself. God doesn't turn his back and act like he doesn't see what we are going through. God says, I will strengthen you. God says, I will uphold you. God says, I will help you. I am your God. He strengthens us. And then he says, I will strengthen you, he says, with my right hand of righteousness. Watch this. This is interesting. In Hebrew culture, just like in our culture, we note and recognize the right hand as the hand of power. And so when you read about the right hand, not only is it the hand of power, but it means the hand of faithfulness. So God is saying, here's the mode of expression. God says, I'm going to maintain you with my right hand of faithfulness. In short, God says, you can rely on me. You can be secured in me. And because you can be secured in me, don't go into despair. I want you to have hope. So this text in Isaiah 41.10 speaks to us about hope and not despair. It speaks to us about faith and not fear. Therefore, these times that we are in, 
These are times that we should hold on to faith and not fear. Hold on to hope and not despair. Let me remind you what we said sometime last year about hope. I want to remind you about that because we spoke about that. Why do we need to have hope? Why must we hear what God says when he says, fear not, I am with you. Why is it that we must dispel fear, kick fear out? And I'm challenging you, dispel that fear. Dispel all of that. In spite of what you've heard, in spite of how sick you are, you can still come out of that. Even in times of great loss, you may not have all the answers right now, but you can come out of that. Not in your strength, as I said, but in the strength of God. God says, I am your God. God says, I will be with you. And so God is saying, I want you to be filled with hope and not with despair. Why do we need hope? Number one, hope moves us forward. When you have hope, you can move forward. Fear and despair will always create drag in our life. You often note that when artists, rather when athletes run, they try their best to wear attire that's going to help them as best as they can to, to run fast. And they want to wear the type of clothing that's not going to sort of create drag. If you look at people who cycle, you see sometimes even the helmets they wear, they are shaped in an aerodynamic way so that they can sort of pierce through the resistant air that comes. Because they don't want anything, they don't want to wear anything that's going to create drag in their lives. When you don't have hope, you'll have a lot of drag. But hope deletes drag. Hope helps us to move forward in life. Number two, hope has a way of energizing our present. And this is not false hope. This is a hope in God and a hope in his word and a hope in the promises of God that he has given us. Hope energizes the present. In other words, hope makes living today worth it all. Why? Because we know that even though today may be dark, a brighter day is coming. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. But as we say, one day is one day. Even if doomsday is at our corner, even if things seem to be so bad, Hope tells us these days that I dread will also pass. I mean, people have gotten tired right now, you know, of observing certain protocols and, you know, we're wearing masks, you have to sanitize, you have to keep your distance, you have to do this. And, and it's amazing that even if people are not traveling as much and we're not driving far, people are feeling tired, people are feeling worn out. I'm going to talk about that next week. You know, people are feeling drained and, and all of that. Even if maybe we may not be doing much physically, but we are so drained. And you get to that place where you just feel hopeless. You just feel listless. You just feel, why must I care? I mean, I don't care about my weight. I don't care how I look like. I don't care what I read. I don't care what I say. I don't care what I listen to. I don't care what I believe. I don't care. And I'm saying, stop. Have hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Have hope. Because that you are still here today, that you are still alive today, it means God has a purpose for your life. Please have hope. Don't give up. Don't give up. Have hope. You know, one of the things I love is uh, when I hear stories of children who were born prematurely. And, uh, you know, when they tell you about them, you know, some children who are born uh, much more prematurely. And then, and then, and then they, they come through that and, and they go through that period. And then you hear the doctor says, this one is a fighter. 
Yeah, this little one was fighting for their life. They, they fought. I mean, they should have passed on, but they fought. Keep on fighting, my sister and my brother. Number three, hope lightens our darkness. Hope does not deny the reality, nor does hope remove the reality. Hope does not in any way dissolve the painful realities that we are going through. But what hope does is it just gives us the ability to be able to carry it a little bit more. It's almost like if you've ever ran any, any race somewhere. As you're running and you're going towards the finish line, you know, it's, it's almost like that. Even when your body is giving up and, and your muscles are cramping up, when you see the finish line, there's something about seeing the finish line. More so if there are spectators around and even better if, if they call out your name, if they know who you are. Uh, even better if someone comes and runs side by side with you. There's just something about it when you see the finish line on the horizon that you, you, just, you just gather up every ounce of energy on the inside of you and you dash forward to the finish line. That's what hope does. Hope helps lighten our darkness. Hope shines bright in the midst of darkness and it hope it helps us that the darkness becomes lighter number four hope is the bedrock of our faith hebrews chapter 11 tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for in other words faith fuels hope but at the same time hope also fuels faith because faith and hope are very closely tied together the one enlivens the other. Without faith, we cannot soar in hope. But we, without hope, faith will simply limp home. The greatest of all believers of all times are men and women who were great hopers. You know, the Bible tells us about Abraham in the book of Romans chapter 4. It says, who without hope believed in hope? Who against hope, rather, believed in hope? You know, sometimes you hear people say, ah, you people, you are just saying this, you're just preaching and you're just saying this. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're trying to inspire people with hope. And it's not our hope. It is not false hope. It's a hope based on the word of God. It's a hope based on the track record of Jehovah God. It's a hope based on thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of history that has been carved out by God since the onset of humanity on this earth. This same God who has shown himself to be faithful, this same God who has brought people out of bondage, even people who were in slavery for 400 years, this same God even in our own nation who has brought us out of apartheid, this same God who was able to bring us through. Some of you, you know, you, you grew up in a home where things were not well and you remember your childhood days when things were so difficult and so challenging and there you are today, you, God has brought you through. You don't know how you came through but God has brought you through this is the hope that I'm talking about hope becomes the bedrock of our faith when we start giving up hope then we end up not even having any faith at all but here's what I like number five hope is infectious hope is infectious you see when we are mourning and when we are when we are filled with fear and when we, we, we are feeling down. We drag everybody down with us. And of course, there are times when we mourn and, and we should mourn. And God should help us through that period of mourning. 
But you see, if we continue on and on and on, even after many, many, many years, and we don't find a way of being enlightened in our spirits, it drags everybody down. Have you realized when somebody is always sad and they're always spreading the bad news, how it just creates a, 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 an environment that is not the best? Hope is infectious. When you're somebody who's filled with hope, there's got to come somebody who's got to say to us, come on, let's get up. Let's believe in God. God says, fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. He said, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And number six, hope is healing. When you counsel depressed people, one of the first things you must try and do is to give them hope. You see, by definition, depression is a sense of hopelessness. Now, we say, have hope. Hope itself is a huge step towards healing. And in conclusion, hope is practical. When you hope, it doesn't mean you just sit there and wait for utopia to appear. But hope motivates you into action. It's hope that motivates you to use your faith. It's hope that motivates you to pray. It's hope that motivates you to speak God's word over your life. It's hope that motivates you to believe God. It's hope that motivates you to stand against fear and say, I'm not going to allow you to rule my life. And hope, as it motivates you, it will stabilize you in the midst of a storm. There are things that stabilizes us in the midst of a storm. You know, I was reading somewhere and uh, I noted that of the many signs of the, of the Christian people way back in the early century is the fish, many other symbols. But one of the symbols is the symbol of an anchor. Because, you know, they used to navigate the rough seas those days as they were commuting and traveling from one place to the other. And they knew that if they threw an anchor down into the rough seas, that anchor would hold their ship in place and help them to not run aground. It would stabilize them in the midst of a storm. And so they used that anchor. Oh my goodness, we have an anchor by the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus who is able to stabilize us in the midst of a storm. And so again, the Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I want to give you an opportunity today to know him, to receive him into your life, to be the savior and the Lord of your life. Will you join me in that prayer right now? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you just now in the name of Jesus. Come into my heart. Be the savior and the Lord of my life. Change me and make me a child of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you as well for praying that prayer. I want to pray for you right now as I pray for you as individuals, as we pray for our nation in the same spirit. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for these, your children right now, for whatever they're going through, those who are filled with fear, remove that spirit of fear. Those who feel distraught, those who are hurt, who are wounded, those who are grieving, those who have lost their jobs, those who have lost their loved ones. Stretch your hands towards them, we pray. Father, we also pray for our nation right now. We pray that you will bring us through this time. Help us in this difficult and challenging time. You are a God who knows us, who cares for us. Reach out to us 
and be merciful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.